And welcome to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. Uh, today's an interesting episode. We don't have a guest per se, uh, except it's just myself and Christian van Hasty and another permanent writer at uh, the Rational Standard, and we'll be here discussing a few issues on the show. So, Christian, welcome to your first episode. How things are going there on your side? Well, um, thanks a lot. Things are going well. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this is a, a new thing. We've we've had the Rational Standard, the website where we've been writing stuff for about two years and it's been mildly successful considering we aren't funded by uh, George Soros or the DA or Afri Furum or, or anyone. Um, and so we basically... All the Koch brothers. All the Koch brothers for about two years anyway. And, and um, I haven't been writing articles as often as I should. And then I thought speaking is easier than writing. And I thought maybe we should do a podcast. You've been doing quite a successful podcast i mean you've interviewed some pretty interesting people and you ask good questions um yeah you know i've had some nice conversations people like a couple of people have actually approached me to talk on the show okay. uh, but the one nice thing about a conversation is that it's a medium where you're constantly exchanging ideas back and forth and it, it, it develops some some very nice uh you know things to be heard and i think this is why podcasts are getting so popular now this is why the renegade report has gotten so big this is why the bench Piro shows is massive now because people yeah. can play it in the background and do your dishes yeah. and, well, and well, so on but well, well, uh, yeah and another another thing and i guess we're going to get to this is that no one wants to listen to the radio anymore yeah i mean that's true we'll i'm sure we'll touch on that um so anyway, so this is the purpose of this thing is the show doesn't even have a name yet. We don't even know if there's going to be a next episode yet. Hopefully it goes well. Hopefully neither of us get doxxed and have get death threats and have our jobs and studies and stuff threatened. Um, so yeah, I doesn't let Eusebius ever get to listen to this. Um, so we don't have. Oh, a name I'd love for I'd love to have Eusebius on the show, but I don't think he'd be willing. No, but for yeah, for reasons we'll get into. Um, that might not yeah, but he wouldn't yes. be willing because he doesn't like speaking to people with you know educated alternate views. Um, was it, <laughs> didn't, wasn't that wow. story that Ramon once said or someone that he had a guest scheduled? He was you know kind of slightly anti-feminism, pro-free speech. And then you see this like 15 minutes before and just cancelled it. And this was like a true story. I think someone, although I shouldn't say that because I, I don't know, but I think it was like some inside information someone had. I, I vaguely remember something like that. I, I don't know yeah, exactly I, what happened. The funny thing for me yeah. is, the yeah. funny thing for me is that, uh, you know, the Renegade Report is now consistently downloaded, um, well, out downloading Eusebius Mackay's podcast in terms of South African podcasts on news and politics. Mm. Um, he just kind of like refuses to to respond to them. Yeah, um, but, well, but look, you know, he's it's, that's him. Yeah. Okay. But we'll we'll definitely talk a bit about him because he's one of the topics. Okay. So this this podcast, it's I mean, it's nothing specific or interesting. Well, it's specific in the sense that. Um, ideally, this would become a, a kind of a, a weekly thing. Um, and we'll just go over some of the five or six biggest headlines of the week and tell you what we think because our opinions are so interesting. Um, and well, so we just jump right into it. Yeah, let's jump right into it. Okay, so the first, if I can introduce the topics, the first one is um, 
I think it took place early last week. Ramaphosa was in Parliament to answer his quarterly question session. And um, amongst other things, he told Stian Nazen to shut up, which I have mixed feelings about. That was very funny. It was funny, and it, uh, in a sense, it needed to be done, but also, like, you probably shouldn't do that. Um. Uh, can, I, can I say one thing about that? Because yeah. here's the thing about our parliament, is that it's totally and utterly dysfunctional, right? Nobody, nobody obeys any of the rules. It wasn't always like this, but basically, like, I hate to single out one group, but it's ever since the EFF joined, the tolerance for breaking the rules of debate in the parliament have become to the point where we really are, it's quite an embarrassment. So, yeah. you know, this sort of thing is normal. But Stian Hazen, however, has been one guy who's consistently taken the high road, except in that speech. He really, in my opinion, sort of gave up. Uh, and, you know. I think I think he's, he comes across as a clever guy with good ideas, etc. But... But he just, he, he can be a bit annoying. I mean, whenever someone is giving a speech, then you always hear his voice like shouting. So it's just, it, it gets a bit irritating sometimes. And I, you know, I don't think it helps. Yeah. I'd be interested to find out where John Steenhazen is ideologically. I've heard various different things about him. I've heard from some that he's a social democrat, but then I also see, you know, he tweeted that he was against the, the national minimum wage, which is freaking awesome coming from somebody as high up as him in the Democratic Alliance. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be talking to a great economist on the Rational Standard podcast pretty soon about the minimum wage. I had an interesting few tweets exchanging uh, with uh, Gilad Isaacs from the guy who headed up the research uh, into the new national minimum wage. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyway, let's let's talk about what just, we're going to talk just about. Just for interest's yeah. sake, um, after having read Nassim Taleb's skin in the game book, as as this person, what's his name? Said again, was he in charge of this research? Gilad Isaacs. Yes. Yeah. Do you, has he ever been affected by the minimum wage? Has he ever worked for the minimum wage? Has his family what, ever worked for the minimum wage? He was a wage? PhD. He was a PhD student at Fitz University. Um, I don't know. Like I suppose it's okay. But I've I just, no I just, idea, just, just for interest's <laughs> sake, I mean, do you do you think he? He he was ever in a position or, you know, anyone close to him. Do you think he will be affected by the fact that people will lose their jobs as a, I mean, as a result of a minimum wage? Do you think he'll be affected by prices going up in small communities as a, as a consequence of the minimum wage? Probably not, but yet he's the expert. You know, no one bothers asking... Yeah, I, I... No one bothers asking the people on, like, the threshold, on the edge, you know, um, what do you think? You know, because the workers of a business, they typically know what's going on. I mean, they know whether they're doing well or not. They know what it's like, um, you know, whether the business is doing well. So, if you tell them, okay, look, there's all of a sudden all our, empl- our, our wage bill is going to go up by 20%. I mean, people are smart enough to figure out, okay, wait, who's who's staying and who's going? You know, is this business going to shrink? Is it, It's just, you know, they never ask the people on the ground they i don't think the business owners get any real input into this um those with capital as it were and you know just all these academics and stuff they'll never be affected by the terrible consequences of these disastrous decisions economic decisions and uh, it's tragic it's just, it's ironic actually but also tragic but anyway we, we digress yeah, digressing a bit, but that is an interesting topic to yes. perhaps go so into just, more depth. Sometimes. You know, these all these experts, and you know, they they write articles and they go on panels and talk shows and stuff, and they they're always wrong about everything, but yet we listen to them. <laughs> um, okay, but anyway, okay, so 
the 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 point I want to get to the back to the story is in this quarterly thing, Ramaphosa said he would he thinks we need a state owned bank, um, which is which is obvious. I mean, considering what drawing successes, ESCOM and SAA and Transnet and Petro SA and all the rest of it are. I mean, why not have a bank? What what do you yeah. think? No, I mean, really, it's like, uh, I, I don't know what to say anymore. It's like, how much more evidence do you need that's, you know, I think you and I, Christian, on an ideological ground, we would argue based on theory as to why state-owned companies are naturally inefficient. It's because they don't feel the market forces which the private sector feels, and you can go into the theory of this all. But just forgetting all that, like, let's just forget all the economics and, and, and the theory that explains why this is. I mean, is there a single, uh, what is the evidence out there of the current uh, companies which are owned by the South African government? South African Airways is just a disaster. It's an absolute disaster, the amount of money it's losing. Well, it's well, they, like, they, I can't believe. They announced, what, what was it a 7 billion rand loss? Like, yeah, last I mean, year, I remember yeah. a year ago we spoke and it was a 5 billion rand loss. It was like, unbelievable. Now it's like, you know, like at what point do we... Does does a taxpayer or, or the government or someone or the finance minister say, okay, wait, look here, this isn't working. Um, no one wants to fly with SA anyway. I mean, just talking for myself and most people I know, actually, um, I haven't flown SAA domestically or internationally in many, many years. If you want to book a ticket to go anywhere in the world, you go on uh, Lufthansa or you go on Emirates or Qatar first. I love those airlines. You know, you, you fly SAA as a last resort because the planes are old, tickets are expensive, the, the service is crappy, the food is crappy. I mean, there's, SAA is no one's first choice except if uh, you're a state official and the taxpayer is paying for your business class seat. So, so I mean, so there's no... No one wants to find SAF. If they don't get bailed out, they will stop existing overnight and no one will be worse off. I mean, because no one wants to fly SAA anyway. Yeah, talk about SAA until we're blue in the face. I think it's a classic example of what goes wrong. I mean, you have to understand the, avi the aviation industry, the industry of, of owning a commercial airline it's a is disaster. extraordinarily difficult it's, to get And the right. margins are so tiny. What did I read one day? It's like on, you know, you make on a on a... On the Joburg to Cape Town flight, they make like 80 Rand profit a seat. 80 Rand profit a seat. So you, Yes. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then, and then like what happened once to that nationwide, then, then, your, then your engine falls off. They're literally, the engine fell off the plane. It was like 10 years ago or something. And that killed the airline. Just like it killed their reputation and, it, you know, the insurance and the whatever cost so much. I mean, no one was hurt, but, but that's just the, the kind of industry it is. So, I mean, why why the South African government thinks they can run run a, a airline in such a competitive industry is beyond me. But alas, but but as I think Franz Grenier and Leon Lowe and you know everyone says it's they can't give up SAA because if they say they privatize it or they close it down, it would basically be an admission of failure. It's like we failed, we screwed up, we can't run an airline. So it's they just want to keep it going. Um, yeah, yeah. Perhaps that is the reason why they they keep this zombie of a state-owned enterprise alive at all costs. I mean, SA isn't the only one. I mean, you can think of any of 
the endeavors the madupi power station is one of my personal favorites the overrun on that i mean you think about how much how how many kilometers of road could have been built with the i don't know if it was millions or billions of rand that went over but anyway we're all we're bringing up these examples to talk about one point and that's the state-owned bank hypothetically speaking you know something like that would presumably be Whenever there's a state-owned enterprise, often the thought is, well, we need one company that can provide the service and it's not the profit motive. So it will feed yeah, and provide for the people, TM. Yes, well, well Ramaphosa said, you know, we need a bank for our people. I don't know whether I'm included in our people. I'd like to think I am. But I, I also would like to know that. I, but I suspect I'm not our people. Um yeah. Oh, by the way, um, does didn't there was the post office wanted to start a bank, and if I'm last time I checked, the post office is owned by the government. I mean, so are they going to have a post office bank and a government commercial bank? I mean, I thought the post office is also starting bank. I don't know how well that's going. Um. Yeah. So uh, I find this. I mean, I, I pay post yeah. office. It's like kind of obsolete right now. Yeah, well, no uh, and now they it. want to start a bank. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been in the pipeline. But, but I don't any... know whether it's going to happen. But but I, I don't. I want to know whether Ramaphosa did he just say this for like fun, or some political reason, or do you think he has like a committee or task force or something working on setting this thing up? Like, I don't, I don't know. So basically, if you were to ask me, I think a lot of the rhetoric that we're recently hearing from Sir Ramaphosa is electioneering. Um, think about something like the land expropriation. Think about the initial signed by the EFF, which does not believe that anyone in South Africa should have the right to own property. They believe that the state should own all property. And this is something which the ANC is sort of adopted by this resolution in Parliament, which is not a law, it's just a resolution. Uh, but the point is, is that you think about how populist of a policy it is. It's kind of like Donald Trump's border wall. It's like, it just sounds so good, you know, land expropriation without compensation. It's, it's like it's like this thing which not many people actually tangibly benefit from, if you think about these people who, uh, the percentage of, of South Africans who actually wish to live on rural land is, is relatively, I don't think, very high. Uh, but it's a brilliant electioneering campaign because the issue of land expropriation is so important. I can't help but wonder if this is really all part of a grander scheme to get votes back for the ANC, which has been slowly dying. Um, and I think it's going to be very successful. I think this next election, in my prediction, may be the first election uh, in, I suppose, since '94, where the ANC actually gains votes. I don't know if ANC gained votes I, I, I in think the second two, two thousand and four was like their record, if I'm not mistaken. Otherwise it was ninety four. But I think two thousand and four that like a bumper year uh, election. If it was oh four. Yeah. 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 I think that's what the, do you think about that? Well, I, I don't I don't know. Um for me this is more I I think the the thought experiments about what a, a government run bank, commercial bank would look like is what I find so amusing and intriguing, even though I don't think it would actually ever happen. But what I can imagine is that they would set up all kinds of committees and have meetings and stuff and pay people massive consulting fees to look into setting up a bank. And then eventually at the end, after tens of millions of rands, they would realize that it's not worth it. Um, I mean, 
Capitech is still growing. I can't remember what the figure is, but it's something ridiculous, like hundreds of thousands of new customers every month that Capitech is getting. Um, and, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely not, you know, if, if the state-owned bank, commercial bank, opens tomorrow, I'm not moving my money from F&B to there. And I can't think of a single person who would move their money from F&B or Capitech or APSA to the state-owned bank. Um <laughs> I also have a concern with the concept of a state-owned bank and that, you know, whenever something state-owned pops up, it immediately shouts corruption to me. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, now, you know, when, when we have a financial services board in South Africa, which is a, a, a department or a, a, an organ of the government, I don't know quite what you would classify it as, but it has enormous power to regulate. Yeah. Um, and it's not, Parliament doesn't even keep it in check. Yeah. So, so all of a sudden now, that's the financial services board which regulates financial service providers. All, all of a sudden, the government has a financial service provider. You know, you put two and two together, and it's like jeepers. The possibilities for corruption there are endless, uh, and uh, that's also a big concern for me. No, it's no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's uh, if it happens, it will just end up being a slush fund for the corrupt. Um, but I'm just wondering now, how would this bank compete? Let's say, you know, what would they do differently? As as a, as a saver, would I get higher interest rates than I get from one of the current big five banks? Probably not. Will there be lower fees? Probably not, because, I mean, they won't be able to innovate. Where are they going to get the people to run it from? I mean, they've, they've replaced the people at like Transnet and Eskom, all these places with people I haven't heard of. I mean, all the best people, all the best bankers, all the best CEOs and managers, they're already in the private sector. So they're not going to find people who will be able to run it so efficiently to make fees lower and service better and whatever. That won't be possible. I mean, I, I think a, a big thing of this that he was like kind of implying was the injustice of, you know, poor people not being able to get loans to start businesses or buy houses or whatever. Which is firstly, I mean, they don't own land. The state and tribal, you know, king, the king owns the land that if you live on. So you can't kind of give your, your your land or your house up as security to get a loan to start a business or whatever. That's something Leon Lowe talks about quite a lot. Um, yeah. And now, you know, so so now are they gonna are they gonna give out loans at much lower interest rates than the commercial banks are? I mean, because, you know, I'm sure that will end well. Well, that'll be, well, that'll be, I mean, that is, if I understand correctly, that's sort of what happened in 2008 in the United States, where you yes. have these subprime loans. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, I'm always skeptical of any sort of meddling about in the monetary system. And if the government is going to have these banks to be able to, you know, give out loans to people who perhaps don't have the best credit rating at you know interest rates which are lower than the market level or cheap as I mean it's like you know I, I suppose that the bright side about this is that it will be a state-owned bank and not the private sector but um, how much money are you are you willing to lose on this it just, well, it just sounds like a, a risky for disaster who's gonna pay for the losses you know yeah SAA oh, yeah, only right. costs seven billion rand a year I don't want to even know how much ESCOM is costing the taxpayer every year. Um, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> how much is it going to cost to bail out this bank? And where's the money going to come from to capitalize it? From the government? The government doesn't have money. Do you think the go do you think overseas pension funds are going to buy bonds 
<laughs> for for South African states owned commercial bank. You know, this is so ridiculous in so many levels. And as you say, this is what happened in in America in in, in 08. Um, interest rates were too low, and they gave out loans too easily to every Tom, Dick, and Harry, who who thought, okay, I'm gonna buy a house and flip it. And you know, people were thinking, okay, wait, my house is making is going up more in value than I'm making with my salary. So let me just chill you know you know you have end up having home equity and of course at some stage you run out of buyers interest rates are forced to go up and and you get one massive crash and housing prices collapse and interest rates are have to go up although they were still being kept artificially down which we'll see how that ends um but yeah just this it's a terrible idea and i hope they don't do it but they're probably going to spend lots of money thinking whether about they should do it and they're gonna probably start saying it at rallies and stuff you know kind of it's 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 just another form of welfare and instead of saying we're gonna get you know the ANC boasts about the fact that we have 20 million people on social grounds as if it's something to be proud of um the same way they're gonna say it's it's just it's just another welfare thing you know (laughs) promising people free money (laughs) which obviously has to come from someone somewhere ends up being a taxpayer most of the time so yeah well well anyway i think on this issue of um of a state-owned bank we've sort of uh ran the ran through the mills of, of why we'd be against well, it hopefully we've buried we've it got now. a few other yeah <laughs> yeah well, well look we'll see what happens in due course but i'm, I'm going to end off by saying i suspect it may not happen i suspect this may all be part of an electioneering campaign well, uh, especially because this is kind of EFF territory, and you can see the ANC actively going to try replace the EFF's yeah. policies in many ways. No, this this won't happen. Even if they wanted it to happen, there's mon- no money to make it happen. <laughs> so, so I don't think it would. Happen. In fact, um, on that on that topic, uh, Darvi Ruet gave a very excellent uh, talk at the Free Market Foundation. I think it was only just a few weeks ago, or maybe it was about a month ago. I can't remember. Um, and in it, he basically explained the budget and how things were looking in South Africa. And the broad overview that he gave was that South Africa is in a situation where we are extremely highly taxed and we are looking for ways to try raise more, more tax revenue at the moment because we just are, keep spending too much. Um, so, you know, that's a very interesting talk. Check out Darby Rhodes' talk at the Free Market Foundation. Anyway, Christian, we have a few more topics. Yes, we, uh, we talk do. about Afi Forum. Well, yeah. uh, Look, I, I'd like to start and say one thing about Afri Forum. I think Afri Forum is a fantastic organization. I think they do really good work. A lot of people aren't aware that, like, the community, uh, organ- you know, the help they give to communities. They have the Afri Forum 911, which is like an emergency service. Uh, things about security in rural areas, uh, setting up private colleges with academia. Uh, you know, solidarity, they're associated with the trade union, you know, it's actually a a really fantastic example of civil society. I just find it, you know, and they have a few things which they do, which I don't really agree on. I think that's when it comes to all the hate speech stuff, they should really practice what they preach. If they believe in free speech, then I'm I'm not really one in favor of all this litigation that they do. Um, But uh, I'd like to say, you know, it's obvious that the, the media are out to get them. And we can talk about what exactly happened here. But if I were to give one piece of advice to Afu Forum, it would be shut, no, not shut up, but rather up the media. 
if a left-wing uh, journalist who clearly has an agenda asks you to come for an interview, say no. There's nothing wrong with it. It's obviously not going to be a fair interview. Nothing positive will come out of no, it. No, nothing good will there come out no of it. There's no reason, in my serious. view, for Kelly Creel to go on the UBCB's McKaiser show. No. Well, okay. So, so obviously, the, the instant... Also, I concur. Afri for him is great. I'm not a member yet. Um, I probably should sign up, get around to doing that, send them 100 rand a month. Um, yeah, well, okay, the, the incident is obviously the thing that's been making the headlines, which is not really important news. I mean, it, I don't think it's important, but obviously, I mean, all the, all the news places are jumping on it. You know, Eyewitness News had this as a sponsored post on Facebook. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, that shows you, the, you know, that kind of shows, shows you what's you going on, what, what their, their agenda is. Um, so Kali Creel went on the Eusebius show, which is in my mind a poison chalice because Eusebius does not treat his guests or his callers or anyone with the courtesy they, res they, they deserve. Um, he cuts them off and he asks loaded questions. So he asked Kali a pretty loaded question and I think he was, he got exactly the answer he was looking for, for his own purposes. So he asked him, was um, apartheid a crime against humanity, which which it was. I mean, in my opinion, given the Yes, context, I would say yes. I, I, would, I would say yes, it was. And I'll, we, we can get into that now. Um, yeah, anyway, so that he got the answer he wanted. and But, you know, the, the headline only read, Kali Creel doesn't say, it says Afri Forum wasn't a crime against humanity. Whereas, like, I think the very next sentence was but i think it was wrong so it's like it's it's a right. half it's a half truth in a sense if not misleading deliberately misleading i'd say on most on the on the part of most media organizations well it was really the quote that the media was hoping to get out of afri forum i think it was very unfortunate that kali creel gave Fell for it that answer he, and, you know, he gave this whole explanation afterwards and that no one listened I, to you know it's it's bad I, I don't like it that's if he does hold that view I, I think it's unfortunate but you know we, we discussed a bit on the on the chat group could it have been the language barrier he's not the spokesman Ernst Ritz is the is the spokesman and I think there's a reason that Ernst um, is the spokesman is because he's got the silver tongue and he knows how to handle yeah. interviewers like that I will um, but yeah, yeah I'll go ahead no just just as you say the, the language thing and it's something people underestimate and i'm not saying this was the case or that's you know you didn't mean it or whatever but i'm afrikaans and i went to english high school and the language thing is still sometimes for me you kind of you say you use words which aren't like 100 percent correct for what you're saying and when you're talking about a, a serious subject um then it could cause you trouble um but yeah the, the language thing is definitely it's it's not straightforward that uh someone who's english if english isn't their native language or their first language then it's what they say and what they mean aren't always going to be the like exactly precise yeah you know uh, who knows and i don't know how colloquial feels speaking english uh but even like like you just said you know if i were to listen your your english accent sounds just like mine uh, it doesn't sound i wouldn't detect that you were afrikaans unless i knew your center was Van Hastian. 
Yeah. And you even say that, you know, sometimes there are problems. And, I, you know, some linguists say that you'll never even... Look, okay, I'm beating a dead horse on this issue. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> let's move beyond this because here's the thing. The media obviously wanted to get this out. Eusebius was clearly... Why would he invite these guys on the show after they'd just been on this yeah. successful tour of America? And this, for me, is the elephant in the room. Yeah. Afri Fordham leaves the country. Okay. First thing that happens, Huffington Post writes an article about it. It's like jeepers. Like, well, you know, you, you've obviously got an axe to grind here. And this is what I think we saw over Afri Fordham's uh, tour of America. They were incredibly successful. They met with members of the Trump administration. They got on Tucker Carlson which is one of the most watched news shows in America. I think Ted it might Cruz? be the most watched. I think it's the most and, watched show. Yeah. Well, it's a big deal. I mean, everybody knows Tucker Carlson in America. Mm. Um, and, and so obviously people back home were losing their, losing their minds about it. Mm. Um, so for me, this is an obvious pushback of an organization with more uh, conservative leanings becoming uh, successful and it's showing that actually, while they may be very ostracized in South Africa, what they're sort of talking about is, is quite normal in a lot of places which are much more successful in South Africa. And I think this is very threatening to the media. And so it's quite necessary that they get Kali Kirill to come on and ask him a load of questions so that they can sponsor a headline that says Kali Kirill thinks that apartheid was not a crime yeah. against humanity. And that's it. I, mean, I, I didn't listen. I listened. I didn't listen to the whole thing. And I don't know how much they actually touched on, you know, the the actual trip to america i mean because it was about farm motors which believe it or not is actually a major issue and, and land and and land and um and you know they met with michael bolton not my favorite person but he is he's trump's national security advisor i mean that's a big deal he met john bolton you mean uh, was it john what did i say john bolton michael bolton oh not michael Bol <laughs> name i apologize i mean john no, bolton no. i mean john bolton and um and they met with uh with ted cruz who's like senior senator he's a senator right i don't think they i'm sorry to interrupt i don't think they actually met with ted cruz but they were at his office uh i oh. never saw no man I, i'm I sure think i they saw did. they were a little bit careful wasn't about there, that wasn't there a picture of them together or something okay but either way they, they met with the, the president of america's national security advisor they met with a senior congressman and or his team uh, and they were on the largest evening news show, talk show in America, um, you know, on Fox News primetime. I mean, surely that's the, the more obvious conversation to have rather than asking someone whether apartheid was a crime against humanity. If unless you have it's a loaded question and you have a bit of an agenda asking it. Yeah, look, uh, the the aim of the media here was very clear and so now okay so where do we move forward from this is, is actually a very good i think you know the last episode of the renegade report where they gave advice to the da i think a lot of that can be applied to afri forum yeah afri forum does very good work it's not in their interest to talk to left-wing journalists who have a clear political lot to get them to say bad things yeah uh, in my opinion they should not care what the media really says about them their members you know how many members does afri forum have uh okay and i'll come to positive 200,000 plus, that's enormous. I mean, I don't know what percentage of the Afrikaans-speaking population of South Africa there is, but it's, it's a sizable chunk. Yeah. Um, and now compare that with how much positive media attention does Afri Furum get? Very, very little. Can, can I... So what we can tell from this is that there are... Yeah. 
Sorry, just to jump in. I think they they their subscription or their their numbers have increased disproportionately this week. Things like this, I think, make actually make <laughs> get, gets them more money. So that's just my my gut feel. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. No. So what I was saying is that if you think about the amount of positive media attention Afri Forum gets, is extraordinarily little. Yeah. And yet the amount that they've grown over the since yeah. their founding up until now and how successful they've been. What it shows is that the media obviously doesn't like them very much. They're very concerned that Afriforum is going to be successful, and that scares them a lot. But I think it's it's to their benefit to just sort of keep to themselves and not really care. They they must really not give a crap what the Huffington Post writes, even if they do write ten articles in a row. Um, you know, Adam Stutz is very keen on responding to people. He's quite a warrior on Twitter. Mm. Sometimes there's some very good remarks that he makes. But if I had to give one piece of advice. Uh, to him, I would say, you know, Afri Fuera must just like really not take crap anymore uh, from the media. They must keep to themselves unless they know that any sort of interview that they're going to get is going to be uh, going to give them a fair shot and a fair hearing. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, the only way to avoid incidents like this Kari Kari on Eusebius show again, because no doubts, you know, I can say to you right now, Christian, do you think the Holocaust was the worst event in history? And you can say no, and it makes you sound like a horrible anti-Semite. Exactly. Uh, but it, the question is just not that simple. Yeah. It's you know? <laughs> so, like, so, you know, is the Holocaust the worst thing ever? Possibly one of the worst things ever, like absolutely like, you know, the most, one of the most horrible things in history. Yes, definitely. So, but I mean, so, so that's what it comes down to. So if you ask crimes against humanity, I mean, that's, if you think about it carefully, that's a pretty, I'm not, I'm not, apartheid was a crime against humanity, right? It was terrible. Yes. It was wrong. Was it was very wrong. wrong. I mean, and I don't know, no serious person would say apartheid wasn't horrible and, okay, but anyway, but, but then can we ask was what Mugabe did to the farmers and to, between the various tribes of Zimbabwe, was that a crime against humanity? In my opinion, yes. Is it being labeled as that? I don't know is what's that guy the sudanese guy who zuma's buddy buddies with bashar uh, someone uh i've forgotten the name that guy he's Assad is in syria yes but it's a bashar something i think right but yeah. that guy he was illegally in the country and we didn't arrest him as we legally should have um you know we as, had hamas yeah we had South hamas oh, do do those people do they not commit crimes against humanity do are they known for their crimes against humanity or do we just say no they just abuse human rights every now and then i mean so so the term itself is is a bit loaded and it's a bit too political and a bit not subjective enough i mean do we say what che guevara did was that crimes against humanity in my opinion yes i know people who still wear his face on their t-shirt um yet i think he committed some crimes against humanity so I think it's not obvious what you mean by crimes against humanity, and Eusebius fell into that. I mean, uh, Calicule fell fell into that trap, and um, Eusebius got what he wanted. I mean, Gaddafi does he commit crimes against humanity? Probably yes. Did Obama commit a crime against humanity by overthrowing him and leaving Libya in chaos? I think so. <laughs> you know, where where yeah, where do you where it's does it's it like end? You could go ad infinitum. You you can go forever. So that's that's why I think you know people maybe a bit emotional maybe they don't think clearly enough about what exactly they mean and what exactly the implications are. 
anyway, but that's that's what I have to say about yeah. it. And yeah, I don't know. There, what, there was, what do you think? There, so basically, I would end off this by just saying, you know, there was obviously this was a case where the media is obviously out to get Afri for them. Yeah. And there's a very clear way forward, in my view, and that's that they must just not give a crap about the, what the media says. And then if somebody, if a journalist in the vein of Eusebius Kaiser asks for an interview, they must say no. Because what good will that possibly do for them? No, no. It's like it's like if, if somebody said, hi, we'd like to interview you so that we can give you a bad name. Would yeah. you say yes or no to that? <laughs> exactly. Just say no. You just know? say no. And um, yeah. If I can just add one thing about the Eusebius show, maybe getting a little bit... Um, John Ruby, because I listened yeah, to him uh, on my way to school every morning for 12 years. Um, <laughs> he, he recently tweeted something like something... I think he used the word something is very wrong at 7.02. Um, Jeremy Mansfield, who was also at, at 7.02 at one point, he said there's he's not getting good vibes you know lots of good people leaving 702 there's something wrong and i mean and they, they, they didn't use the word eusebius mckaiser or the name but you could see that's what they meant and the comments on those things were like everyone was agreeing they're like no i'm listening to podcasts i'm listening to music i love bruce whitfield but i'm not listening to 702 during the day anymore and you know i just can't take eusebius that's what it came down to so i mean they're losing listenership they the parent company, Prime Media, whose biggest investor is Breit. Um, Breit wants to sell Prime Media. I mean, I don't know whether Prime Media is a profitable business anymore, but I think I think 702 and the likes of Eusebius, I think they're losing ratings and, and listenership. I don't know if that's just my perception, but, I, you know, people saying things are wrong there, and I, th I believe them. I think things are wrong, and I think they're going downhill for a reason. So yeah. Well, you know, it's it's certainly taken a turn from the days of John Robbie. Uh, but, you know, personally, I, I I would not be sad to necessarily see radio, as we know, it kind of fade into a bit more of obscurity. And this is not because I, I detest radio. I listen to SAFM and Adeskia every single day in the car. But yeah. perhaps that shows you it's in the car, really, that I listen to it. And I think the Internet is going to become more, more and more prominent. Uh, but it's quite interesting what you say about 702. I haven't heard those things yet, but there might be a bit of a swing now, um, which might have happened you know, as a result of the, the broader sort of polarization in South African politics. Mm. Well, that, that's a feeling I'm getting. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, when I drive, I listen to S uh, classic FM or fine music radio or something lighthearted, or I listen to podcasts on, on, on my headphones or on Bluetooth or something. So anyway, but that's me. So cool. Well, uh, we're at about half an hour. Should we yeah, start to wrap things up? Um, maybe. Okay, we've got three more topics which I am very relatively ignorant on. So we can maybe go jump through them quickly, um, if 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 you'd like. Uh, yeah. Okay, Israel. We we've had the. It's just you know I want to cover the most important things of the week. And, okay, once is a bit long drawer, but okay. So Israel's the next one. They've we've yeah. had the sad tragedy of Israel. Apparently, look, I don't know what's going on, and I'm not an expert, but I don't think either side is that innocent. Um, and I don't think, yeah. So what appeared to have happened was Israel shot down or killed protesters. Um, protesters or soldiers? That's that's an interesting question. Yeah, I don't know. What are so, your thoughts? 
So my main gripe with this at the moment, you know, first of all, my main problem with the whole Israel-Palestine conflict is that it's very difficult to get a, not an unbiased view, but a reasonable view. You normally, it's very typical to see, like, someone who is completely and evidently pro-Israel just says the most out- ridiculous and outlandish things about the Palestinians, and then the exact opposite on the other side, like saying yeah. the Zion Nazis and using yeah. the three brackets and stuff like that, and on you know, to imply Jews and very hectic anti-Semitism. So I find it very yeah. difficult to get a, a decent view I, of this. However... I, yeah. Yeah, what are you gonna say? No, no, I was just gonna agree with you. I mean, there's there's extremes on both sides, but there's no one like in the middle. You either, either you are you are anti-Israel and anti-Jewish, and whatever, and you're anti-Semite and you don't understand the crimes of Hamas and whatever, or you are a complete social justice warrior and Israel is evil and um, they stole the land from the Palestinians and what, like. There's no kind of looking at the facts. You know, there's there's either you're with us or against us. On both sides, that's that's the intention. Yeah, the, the feeling I get. Um, I, it is broadly like that. I think the one exception to that is there may be a few high up American politicians, like say Bernie Sanders. I do not think for a second that Bernie Sanders is is on the pro Israel side of things. But no. because he's in America, you can't take that political view. It's just too much no. of a, an no. extreme political view to be against Israel if you're a U.S. politician, yeah. even on the left. Yeah. Um, anyway, what I was going to say was that the main uh, problem I've had with the recent covering of events is that people have described these people as protesters. Now, you know, these Hamas has identified the vast majority of the people killed by Israeli forces at the border there as being Hamas operatives. Mm. Um, and I think it's what we know now from the way that Hamas operates is that they really enjoy being on the camera and they know that outlets like CNN and the New York Times are going to give them a sympathetic view when they just see, uh, you know, Israelis murdered Palestinians. They don't think of it as, you know, a uh, terrorist group, which is trying to go into Israel to murder Jews uh, with weapons and Molotov cocktails, burning kites with the swastika on it. Are these really peaceful protesters? I mean, I just find it so bizarre. Um, and the, the, uh, trail of this by the media i think has been really horrendous i think i i probably would agree with ben shapiro you know i think he's been going a little bit extreme if anybody listens to the ben shapiro show but he's saying things like the new york times and so on have been doing the pr work for a terrorist organization yeah and i think he's he's kind of right there yeah yeah, i can i can but but also ben shapiro is for me too one-sided and we can touch on this when we get to the next topic which is the iran deal which i also know nothing about uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah sure yeah well i mean the iran deal I'm, I'm equally a little bit ignorant but um this is a a very contentious issue in american politics i think uh, one thing to recognize about iran is that it's basically a terrorist organized a terrorist government basically you know they fund hamas they fund all the worst actors in the Middle East. And we are in a now a bizarre situation where uh, the Middle East region, I'm just including Iran when I say the Middle East here, yeah, has been polarized with people like Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, uh, and the United States on the one side, and then uh, I- Iran on the other. And they're becoming more of a regional power. The main objections to this Iran deal that I've heard from Republicans is that, first of all, it, it, a lot of it's based on sort of trust and that we don't we can't really be guaranteed that iran is stopping its nuclear prolifera- pr- proliferation 
And the other one is that as part of the deal, the United States is giving them billions and billions of dollars. Um, and, you know, when they are funding terrorist organizations, uh, you don't want to be giving that sort of money to a government that's doing that. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also a little bit ignorant because this is something which is just completely off the, off the map of, of yeah. what's relevant here in South Africa. Yeah. Uh, however, we will see to, you know what will come. I don't think it's a train smash that Trump has done this, but I think let's give it say, yeah, and yeah. see what developments come out of that. What I think about the whole Iran thing is that I don't think apparently part of the deal was that the the because of Iran was cut out of the the global payment system known as SWIFT by um, as a result as a result of the sanctions, the U.S. actually gave them hundreds of millions of dollars worth of physical gold and physical us dollar notes which obviously is very easy to use to acquire nuclear material from states like north korea or fund terrorists uh etc or, or buy oil drilling equipment um so i mean it probably wasn't a good deal it was i mean trump i think he, it was at his discretion to recertify the deal every year which he now obviously didn't decide what this choose to do so I think this whole getting out of the Iran deal wasn't technically illegal. This, this is what I'm hearing. Um, so I don't know whether it was good or not, or whether the world is a safer place, but that seems to be what, what's happened. So, yeah. yeah, you know, you, you are right there. I mean, this was a deal which was done by executive authority. It should have gone through Congress, but it was too unpopular. Uh, so you are correct on that last point. Anyway, I think that's a good wrap-up of the recent headlines. Hopefully uh, some people listen to us and take our advice and things. But uh, thanks for chatting. And I suppose until next time when we talk about the, re the next relevant issues of the day, we'll see how things go. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thanks for listening to the one or two people who will listen to this. Um, we wanted to do North Korea, but alas, there's no time. It's an important one and a fun one to talk about. So maybe we can leave that for next time. Plus, I'm sure lots of stupid stuff's bound to happen within the next week. So, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll have another one next week. So, yeah, cool. Thanks for listening, guys. Cheers. Cheers.